This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. All right, let's start today's show with a pop quiz. Who is the most famous Minnesotan who ever lived? Think about that for a second. Okay, so, well, some obvious answers might be Prince, uh, Judy Garland, Bob Dylan. Uh, You know, there's no definitive answer, obviously, but Charles Lindbergh would definitely be near the top of this list, especially if we're talking about famous within the time period that they lived. Lindbergh was a worldwide celebrity when he completed the first nonstop flight from New York to Paris in 1927, arguably one of the most famous people in the world. We'll be talking about that famous flight today, but focusing on another aspect of Lindbergh's life, his politics. Specifically, was Lindbergh a Nazi sympathizer? Reader Mark Bullis sought answers from Curious Minnesota about this topic, which involves a tumultuous and interesting period of American history prior to Pearl Harbor and our involvement in World War II. Kevin Dukesher, who you heard from on the last episode, is joining us again today because he wrote a great story on this topic. All right, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it, and here's Kevin. All right. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. So Lindbergh, Lindbergh Terminal, there's Lindbergh statue outside the Capitol. Uh, we claim Lindbergh as a Minnesotan, and I think rightfully so, but he was not born here. So you're going to have to school us a bit on uh, how does Lindbergh become a Minnesotan? He is very much Minnesotan, but what's the backstory of his Minnesota connection? Uh, well, Eric, his parents were both uh, living in Minnesota at Little Falls. His, his father was a native Minnesotan, actually. His father had uh, immigrated here from Sweden. And what happened was he was born in Detroit, Michigan, because his mother had an uncle who was a physician, and she went there to give birth. And then six weeks after he was born in Detroit, uh, moved back to Little Falls. And Lindbergh grew up in Little Falls. That's what he knew. He grew up on the banks of the Mississippi River. He stayed in Little Falls until he graduated from Little Falls High in 1918. Uh, He spent time in Washington, D.C. when his father was congressman from central Minnesota. But aside from that, all his books, everything he writes about, suggests that he considered or Little Falls to be the place where he grew up. And so his father was a congressman representing Minnesota, you know, in Washington. That's right. He And his father, it's interesting, his father uh, was against American involvement in World War One, which is interesting because uh, Lindbergh obviously gained a reputation for uh, being against American intervention in World War Two. Okay. So a young Lindbergh, he's starting to get into aviation. There's even a, a photo that we have on the story where he, like, crashes a plane in Glencoe, Minnesota. Like, here he is in Minnesota. He's flying. But then he leaves. Let's talk about the the historic flight, because we can't talk about Lindbergh without talking about what made him so prominent. So he flies from New York to Paris. Other people had crossed the Atlantic, but this was a significant flight, right? So what, what and why are we still talking about it today? It was a pretty big deal. Well, it was a big deal because it was... Um it was quite a feat to pull off. And secondly, because he was such an unlikely person to pull it off. Mm-hmm. He was 25 at the time. He was an airmail pilot who flew between St. Louis and Chicago with the mail. So he was completely unknown. There were many prominent aviators who people figured would do it you know, rather than somebody like Lindbergh. Lindbergh decided to fly alone. Most of these other crews that wanted to make this flight were crews of two or three. Mm-hmm. He, he did it in a single-engine airplane. and But most importantly, he succeeded, and he did it alone. He was 25. He was movie star handsome. He was modest. 
he was sort of every mother's dream of a, you know a, their their son achieving greatness. Right. And so he he became a worldwide hero. He and, was yeah. he was he was in fact the most famous person on the planet at the time. Wow. And so, and and previous flights had gone from like you know uh, like sort of Nova Scotia area or parts of Canada to maybe some part of part Ireland. of Europe to Ireland. But in this case, we're talking about connecting two very important cities, and that was sort of uh, inspired people about the future of aviation, right? And that this could right. be a really viable thing, in other words. Yeah, yeah. It was and it was a thirty three and and a half hour flight. His biggest enemy during the flight was actually his lack of sleep, uh, and he writes about that in his books. Okay, so uh, this is that's obviously the formative part of Lindbergh's life. That's what made him famous, but obviously he continued to be famous. So the story, the headline on your story was was Charles Lindbergh a Nazi sympathizer, which is a very intriguing question. So let's get to that portion of his life. So we're in the 1930s. So let's take this in two parts. The first part is was he a Nazi sympathizer, and the second part is was he an anti-Semite. So let's start with the Nazi sympathizer. Piece. We're in the 1930s. Set the scene for us here. What are sort of the the key chapters of that uh, story? Well, in the late 30s, it became clear to people around the world that uh, Germany was getting ready to um, be an aggressor as it was uh, in the 19-teens. And Hitler was making moves in in Europe. And the question became whether Europe's uh, nations were going to be able to defend themselves against the Nazis and whether the United States should get involved at some point to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. And Lindbergh went over at the invitation of the um, the German government. The German government had been asked by the U.S. government to allow Lindbergh to inspect their aviation factories. He went over there. He was very impressed by what he saw and by the technological advances made by the, the Nazi German regime uh, on the Air Force. And while he was there, too, he's also impressed by the order and discipline, the vitality, I think he called it, of the German people. Mm-hmm. And so he, he came away with, a I don't know if sympathetic is the right word, but he certainly was impressed with aspects of the Nazi regime. Okay. And uh, this led to uh, the awarding to him of a medal by the Nazi government, by Hermann Goering, who was uh, Hitler's number two man at the time, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lindbergh was surprised by the medal. He wasn't expecting to get it. But at that point in his career, he had gotten thousands of uh, these kinds of medals and decorations from governments and cities around the world. And it's not clear that he really thought much about it one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So there's a picture. uh, The lead image on this story is him receiving this medal from Goering. And we have a picture of the medal, too. And it's covered in swastikas. And this is a month before Kristallnacht. So, you know, clearly it's this is not like early Nazi regime where, you know, who knows what's going on. I mean, the Nazis were very, like, you know, uh, developed at this point and, and were starting to, you and know... And a real threat to peace in Europe, Right, exactly. Yeah. And so his wife acknowledged that the, the award was, or that the medal was a problem, right? Yeah, and Marl Lindbergh, uh, he accepted the medal and again, it's uh, it really kind of appears that he was sort of shrugging and, you know, took it. Uh, and, but uh, she called it the albatross. She understood that this could be a real problem for him in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's it's worth pointing out he never returned the medal. He never repudiated it. I think it was as much a part of his makeup. You know, he's not he was a very stubborn person. He wasn't going to acknowledge that it was a mistake in receiving it. He said publicly that he thought it might be an insult to the German government. But okay. in any event, he ha- he got the medal. Right? Okay. 
so we're going to get to the anti-Semitism question, but first let's talk about the sort of the other question, which is, was he a Nazi sympathizer or a Nazi? Some people just sort of put it that way. That was actually how the question came into us. Um, so you talk to people who sort of analyze this. Uh, so what, what's what's sort of the gist of, of where we came down on that or as far as what we could tell from other people's uh, anal- analysis? Well, it's uh, one thing it's true. Um, and Reeve Lindbergh expressed this in a recent podcast. She was the youngest of Charles Lindbergh's children in the United States. And she said that's the question she hears all the time, too. Was Lindbergh a Nazi? I talked to Brian Horgan, who perhaps is the leading Lindbergh expert in Minnesota. Brian is a former curator at the Minnesota Historical Society. He's a historian who has written about Lindbergh. And he said, no, he wasn't a Nazi. He said it would be wrong to throw Lindbergh in with, you know, the brown shirts in uh, England and those folks who were explicitly pro-Nazi. He didn't attend the rallies that were held in Madison Square Garden where the swastika was, you know, on display. Mm -hmm. So, um... It's it's perhaps going a little far, I think, to to say that he was a Nazi. Right. Okay. So we're in this key time period here. So that's 1938. Kristallnacht happens a month later, and then you know there's this America First Committee, which is basically sort of an isolationist group that Lindbergh becomes a spokesman for. So tell us a little bit about that, because the the war is starting to happen, but America is not involved. Well, when, when does the war begin? It's probably in 39 or the, so. The war began in September of 39 when Germany invaded Poland. Okay. But there were two years between that event and December 41 when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. and we got into the war. Okay. And so for those two years, there was a, a good deal of uh, debate in this nation as to whether or not we should intervene in some way in this war. And it's it's uh, the most popular position on that was, frankly, that the United States should stay out. The America First Committee was the organized attempt to uh, enlist popular opinion behind the view that America should not intervene in the European war at the time. A, a lot of that went back to World War One, when Americans felt that their involvement in World War One had been fruitless. And 20 years later, Europe again was in fire. So a lot of people thought, including Lindbergh. Lind- now, Lindbergh actually thought that Soviet communism was a bigger threat to the United States than Nazi fascism. And he believed that neither England nor France was capable of beating back the Soviets. And so that would leave it with Germany. So Lindbergh's point of view was, let's let Germany and Russia fight it out, slug it out with us, without us getting involved in that. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so um, America First, as I said, was a very popular movement. Uh, young undergraduates at the time, like Gerald Ford and John Kennedy, belonged to America First. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a it was not a fringe organization. And Lindbergh, given his fame and his influence, became the leading spokesperson for America First. Okay. And this led to him speaking around the country on the whole issue of whether the United States should intervene or not. Mm-hmm. And this leads to this famous speech he gave in Des Moines, Iowa, in September of 1941, in which he actually listed for the first time. The the groups he thought were responsible for pushing the United States into war in Europe. Mm -hmm. And those groups were the British, the Roosevelt administration, and the Jewish people, Mm -hmm. as he said. Mm -hmm. 
And this is months before Pearl Harbor. This is three months before Pearl Harbor changed everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Everything changed immediately after the Japanese. But the speech was consequential. I mean, it wasn't, it's not just that we're, this is not just hindsight here. I mean, this was, this was controversial at the time, right? Yes, it was. And he, uh, and he received great criticism. Including from this newspaper's editorial board. From the Minneapolis Tribune and the St. Paul Pioneer Press uh, wrote a scathing editorial against Lindbergh. And the headline on the editorial was Imitator of Hitler. Hmm. And so tell us a little bit from the speech. What, what were some of the what was some of what he said that was so controversial? Well, like I said, he, he listed the three groups, British, the Jewish and the uh, Roosevelt administration. Now, he did preface it and he, he told people in later years they didn't read my entire speech. He did preface it by acknowledging the fact that the Jewish people were undergoing severe persecution in Germany. And he said it is not difficult to understand why Jewish people desire the overthrow of Nazi Germany, the persecution they suffered in Germany would be sufficient to make bitter enemies of any race. No person with a sense of the dignity of mankind can condone the persecution of the Jewish race in Germany. But he continued, no person of honesty and vision can look on their pro-war policy, and when he says their pro-war policy, he's talking about the Jews, here today without seeing the dangers involved in such a policy, both for us, us being the American people, and for them the Jewish people. And I think that's that's a big part of why he got into trouble. He separated the Jewish people from, mm-hmm. you know, the American people. Their greatest danger to this country lies in their large ownership and influence in our motion pictures, our press, our radio, and our government. And I talked to Steve Hunigs, the executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council of Minnesota and the Dakotas, who said, Right there, he's trafficking in age-old anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. which indeed he was. Right. And this is not just, I mean, I think it's just worth pointing out again, like this isn't just a modern day reckoning of, you know, what he said. It was actually like immediately recognized as sort of a controversial statement. It did change things. And the Minneapolis Tribune... Uh, wrote, I think this was two days later, that Lindbergh, quote, has managed to bring himself to fanning of the flames of intolerance, of taking a discreditable discreditable advantage of a fact, anti-Semitism, the existence of which all decent people are ashamed. So it is interesting to, to say that or to, to note the fact that this is not something that we've just tumbled to that, you know, what he said was wrong. Right. People understood back then that it was wrong. And this has continued to sort of dog him and his legacy for a long time. And just recently, there was an HBO miniseries of the of the 2004 Philip Roth book, which re-envisioned, or it was a, it's a fictionalized uh, history, but it would be that, that Lindbergh ran against FDR and, uh, and, and won, and then is there sort of a fascist state. But we should just note here that FDR in real life and Lindbergh were basically enemies as a result of all this, right? They were very much enemies. And uh, Franklin Roosevelt told his Treasury Secretary at one point, he said, if I should die tomorrow, I just want you to know one thing. I am convinced that Lindbergh is a Nazi. Wow. So. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why I would have realized, but it just, (laughs) I I never, that quote was so uh, stunning to me, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I just hadn't thought about it. Well, the, 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 the outcome or the result of that is that after the Japanese uh, bombed uh, the United States and mm-hmm. we got into the war in 1941, Lindbergh reapplied for his commission, his army commission, and was refused by the Roosevelt administration. Okay. And so 
he signed on with the Ford Motor Company, went out to the Pacific and helped pilots uh, achieve greater range with their airplanes in mm. their, their bombing missions and the like. And uh, in the course of doing that, Lindbergh wheedled himself into airplanes himself and flew 50 combat missions as a civilian. Mm which was terribly risky because if he had been shot down or captured, there would have been nothing to prevent the Japanese from simply executing him. Right. And it's believed that he shot down maybe one or two Japanese air, aircraft himself. Right, So right. He's, he, he did compile a, a rather uh, admirable war record. Right. As far as that went. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. This is a fascinating tale, and I would encourage people to go online. We'll have the link in the show notes and read the story. And I compiled a photo gallery with the story, which is also kind of interesting because you can see, like, Lindbergh is an old man going back to Little Falls. And, you know, there's just like we had a lot of images of Lindbergh. He's kind of fascinating. But what an interesting history. So I appreciate you coming in and uh, chatting with us about it. Good to be with you, Eric. Okay, that's it for today's show. As always, we appreciate any feedback that you have for us. You can send that to curious at startribune.com. And that's also where you can send any questions you'd like to see us tackle at Curious Minnesota. And if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.